Ezra chapter 7. After these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zariah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord, was, uh, the Lord his God, was on him. Some of the Israelites, including priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants, also came to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month, for the gracious hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Thank you. So, we left it last Sunday with the, the message that actually it's, it's challenging to stay on track of the task that God has given you. And as the people of Israel struggled, we saw uh, last week that um, there were different issues that they were addressed and um, they acted upon. This morning we're going to be focusing more on the character of Ezra and actually his ministry really. Um, as, as I said in the first session, that the book of Ezra itself divides the book in, in two kind of big parts, is chapter 1 to chapter 6, and then chapter 7 to chapter 10. And basically, as I said, it is chapter 10, sorry, chapter 7, where Ezra really starts with his ministry, and we see some of the characteristics in this book, as well as in the book of Nehemiah. But just to, to give you an overview of where, where the, the, what's going on historically at this stage, because we need to realize that between chapter 6 and chapter 7, there is a 60 years gap. And then the ministry of Ezra starts. And if you remember, there are three different deportations that come of people who come from exile. First one was the deportation that came with priest Joshua, and then was with Zerubbabel, and now we've got Ezra, um, and then, sorry, Zerubbabel and Joshua, then we've got Ezra, and then we've got Nehemiah later on with this um, uh, coming to rebuild the walls. So we've got 42,000 people um, that were registered, and a little bit more with the first deportation. Now with Ezra, the number of people gets less and less. It's only 1,500 people who decide that after 60 years to return back to Jerusalem. Do you remember 
how in the first chapter of Ezra we see that God stirs the hearts of the people. In chapter 7, we've got God stirring the heart of one man, Ezra. And he wants to go back because he's still seeing that God is at work in restoring and renewing the spiritual life of his people. And therefore, he's got a task to do. So, actually, <clears throat> we, we are just somewhere here because this is where the temple is completed. And if you remember from last week that the way that they celebrated was with Passover, coming to God and remembering what he has done in the previous exile and then just moving on to be faithful. If you come to chapter 7, there is one phrase that you really hear coming over and over again. Not only the book of Ezra, but also there are two or three places in Nehemiah. And I love it how Ezra takes different angles of this use of these words. So in the beginning, he says, for the gracious hand of God, of his God, was on him. And then... He says, the gracious, the hand of God, the Lord God was on me. And then the gracious hand of our God was on us. And then when they move and they have arrived in Jerusalem, he says, the hand of our God was on us and he protected us. So we need to, to, to remember that the overarching theme of the whole book is that God wants to renew his people. And renewal cannot happen unless God's hand is upon that. Renewal cannot happen unless God really wants to work with his people. And actually, he has chosen different ways to renew his people in the Old Testament. But then with the coming of Jesus, he is giving us a new way of renewing ourselves. And one of the reasons why we can say today that God's hand is upon us is because of what Jesus has done. I think if we took the time and stood here and share our testimonies of what Jesus has done for us, I think we can really look back into that and say, yes, God's hand was upon my life. It would be great to hear some testimonies which are extreme, but also I think it's great also to hear testimonies how God in the normal, mundane ways, God meets with the people. Because actually, he is a God of love. Mark read earlier on that he loved the world, that he gave his only, so much loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. I said about the way that God's hand has been upon us as individuals, but let's look back and see how God's hand has been upon us as a church. I was talking to Dave on Friday, and just the thought that Cairns Road has been for 300 years. And Jill has been the longest standing member. 
look back at this and you're saying, what's a privilege? And also, what grace it's for me to be part of God's history. Looking back at the, the, what the church has been doing for the last 300 years, what, what, what God has been doing through Cairns in different stages, it's amazing. So we do sit down here and say, yes, God, your hand has been upon me, but also God, the hand of our God has been upon us. So, in God's restoring and renewing his people, he's having his hand upon them. The other thing that comes very clearly from the book of Ezra is that it's not only his hand, but it's God's letter. And what I mean by that is the words, the written scriptures that he has given us. Ezra, by profession, he was a scribe. So, literally, he would take the words of the, the scrolls of the scripture and would copy them. He would take the words of the scriptures and he would meditate upon them and he would teach also to the other people. And it is very clearly that as a scribe, he not only has got these qualities, but he puts them into practice. There are three things that come very clearly from the ministry of Ezra. And it says that Ezra devoted himself. I want to stop for a moment at the words devotion. I want to stop because devotion means time. And if I want to be a little bit more cheeky, I want to say that time is the only thing that we worry about in this day and age. Time is the only thing that we measure things against. Time is the thing that actually affects us all because we simply haven't got it. I think I've um, used this as an example in the past where you ask a little child and you hear whether they've got time or not got time about doing these things. Also, time is the frame that the culture wants us to be functioning well, let's go a little bit back to Ezra. 900 miles, four months, leading this 1,500 people, etc. and etc. Where did he find the time to devote himself? What's Dynamics did Ezra's devotion have towards God and his words? And I just wanted to make it a little bit more personal here, is because I'm really challenged. This week I was put, well, I was given on Facebook my first picture with my first ever Albanian Bible translated. 
Um, actually, it was handed to me by Brother Andrew. So it was very special. And I had lost track of that picture. I couldn't find it. And somebody posted on my Facebook page. So it was really, actually, it was one of those um, points that you think, whoa. Because until 1994, we didn't have the whole scriptures. We had only the New Testament translated into Albanian. In 1994, we had the whole scriptures paraphrased so the believers could get access to it and just get on with it. And I just remember <clears throat> the way that I approached the scriptures then with that longing and that hunger because I could read something that I could understand in my own language. And all of a sudden, it was not anymore translated or transliterated from English, but all of a sudden it made sense because the sentences could connect. It was an amazing experience. And this week, I challenged myself to say that, God, I really want to go back to that place that I make time for your words in order that those sentences make sense for me and come as a fresh revelation of who you are. Because actually... Ezra was devoted to God, but he was also devoted to the scriptures. He was a scribe. And there were three ways that he was devoted, three kind of angles that he was devoted. He was devoted to study the scriptures and we've got a lot of people who do that. Unfortunately, some of them stop here. And then Ezra carries on says, in the basis, on the basis of the revelation that he has got on his studies, he wants to take them a step further. And the next level is that not only he wants to study and observe the law, but he wants to continue to teach. So in studying, he, he really sees God's heart. And in seeing God's heart, he wants to observe that. He wants to do what really pleases God. And he doesn't stop here. The scriptures tell us that he wants to pass it on. Ezra was a scribe. He had a quality, he had a gifting that was given to him by God. And we can see here that he was faithful to the fullness, to the gifting that God has given him. I'll throw a question. What is the gifting that God has given you? And in the basis of the gifting that God has given you, are you devoted to really study God's words of what that looks like, to explore it and to observe it in faithfulness and also use it for the other people. Use it for the community of faith. Use it for God's kingdom. So here we've got Ezra. He is passionate about God's letter 
to him. He's passionate about God's letter to, to, to his people. Because actually, the second point that I want to make is that God is going to bring renewal in our midst when we have got a clear revelation of who he is. And scriptures is that place where we can see who God is and what he has done for us. The moment we move aside from scriptures, we're starting going into a slippery slope. So, the people of God, the funny lot, the Israelites, the Jews, you look at the whole Old Testament, and you're saying, more, what's going on here? They keep coming back to God. They keep coming and restoring their relationship with God. God still keeps restoring them. God still brings revelations. God still brings the prophets. God still brings people because he loves these people. He has made the covenant with them. And as I said in the first session, he is going to be true to the promises. We sang that earlier on. But God's people need to be aware that God's renewal is available from them. And again, I want to go back. We've got it much easier than the Jews because we've got the whole revelation of scriptures, but more than that, we've got the Lord Jesus. And as the package of Jesus coming into the scene and dying for our sins, going to the grave, resurrecting on the third day, we've got that promise that he will not leave us alone, but he will send the Holy Spirit which lives in each and every one of us who have made that commitment to follow Christ. So we're not left on our own strength. We're not left on our own esteem. We're asked to live our lives according to the renewal of the Holy Spirit. But also, God has given us one another. This thing called church that was a mystery of the Old Testament but was revealed with the coming of Christ. And in, in, in having one another, we learn to exercise the giftings that we've got, placed, given to us by God, in this community of faith called Cairns Road. And in us covenanting, which is going to happen next Sunday, we come to that place to say that actually God, it's only by your grace that we can come to this place that we say, our longing, Father God, is to follow you faithfully. But thank you for your grace, because we're going to fail. Thank you for your people that can come alongside us, because we're going to fail. But we still want to be, we still want to be as your church every day, and more like Jesus. 
So what we're going to do next Sunday, it's basically a reminder, a symbolic where the God's people stand up and say, actually, we can do this only by God's grace. We commit ourselves to each other and this congregation, promising to love brothers and sisters in God's family. That's the command that Jesus gave us. We commit to share our time, our decisions, our love, our talents, our possessions for everyone's good. It's a picture of, it's a glimpse of what happened in the early church in the New Testament. And we commit each other to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build us up for his glory. And I think this is, for me, it's the most important sentence of the whole service, of the whole wording of the covenant. Because God's church is not about the building, but it's about God's glory being released in each and every one of you. I'll say that again. Church is not about the building. It's not about programs. It's not about what we do. But it's what God does through us. And actually, if the part of this big restoration was for them to, to, to build the temple so God's glory could come back. I think God wants that so badly with Cairns. God wants that so badly with the church in the West. For his glory to fall and we being released just to be ambassadors of his glory. If we want for the surrounding neighborhoods to know of Jesus, we cannot do that without having that burning glory of God glowing in each and every one of us. So, Ezra has been very challenging for me. And I bet it has been for you. And the question that I've battled this morning is, do I really want God's glory to be released in me? Because if I want that, I cannot prescribe what would that would look like. But I know that when that happens, it's overwhelming. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are an amazing God. And again, Lord, I say we thank you that your promises are true and amen in our Lord Jesus Christ. And without him, we couldn't be here this morning. And we've been seeing you, Lord, at work with a group of people who've been in trouble all their lives, so that gives us hope. But at the same time, Lord, I pray that we will embrace the grace that you've got for your church in 2016. 
and say, Lord, we want so bad to journey, to walk with you and see what you're doing in this city, in this neighborhood and get on with it. And we want, Lord, that spark of your glory. Not because we want to be glorious, Lord. No, because we want and we long to see you in that place of glory which really belongs to you. And Lord, and as we've been challenged by your word in the area of devotion, in the area of scriptures, in the area of our community, Lord, come and have your way amongst us. And renew us as your people. And help us, Lord, not to hinder and stop your glory shine. For your glory's sake, Lord, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.